Hello and welcome to this week's Thursday Top 5. I'm Paige. I'm Anna. We're so excited to share this week's news with you and hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Anna and I both went home for the week, but we're so excited to be back in the city and continue on with our normal programming. Yeah, so let's dive in. Yeah. So starting off with our news update of the week, some encouraging news from the arts newspaper where it was reported that, quote, boy thrown off Tate Modern Balcony begins to walk again. As some of you might remember, the child who cannot be named due to a court order was just six years old when the autistic teenager Jaunty Bravery flung him from a 10th floor balcony in August of last year. Bravery was charged and convicted of attempted murder and given a life sentence with a minimum jail time of 15 years. This is a really heartbreaking story for everyone involved, but I am glad there have been updates. So according to the boy's family via a GoFundMe page, they have so far raised more than 292,000 euro towards the cost of his medical treatment and the boy's condition continues to improve and is now once again able to speak in full words, although he retains significant impairment to his memory, which is extremely sad, obviously. But at the same time, it is nice to see that his condition continues to improve and he has begun to walk again. Yes, I think like you said, so often these stories you hear about when it happens and it's terrible and then you never get to see it through. So it is nice to see that his condition is improving. And that his family gave an update. Yes. So diving in, our first headline of the day comes to us from the LA Times, where it was reported reported that quote, the hidden truth of LACMA's Alex Prager show may drive you to drink very creative. Mm -hmm. The weekend before Thanksgiving, Farewell Work Holiday Parties by Los Angeles-based artist Alex Prager was unveiled on the museum's outdoor plaza right behind Chris Burden's iconic sculpture, Urban Light, which I think is one of the most Instagram sites in LA. Yeah, so as I always say, I haven't been to LA, (laughs) but I feel like I've seen this just because of how much people post about it. You definitely have. Yes, but the work consists of 15 life-size figures of varied ages, genders, and ethnicities and these are meant to represent a drunken holiday party at a generic insurance company. Some of the figures within the work are actually posing themselves for a photo which in turn encourages the viewers to do the same and pictures from the show have already populated Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter Mm -hmm. so it's great publicity for the museum as it comes at a time when COVID-19 restrictions in Los Angeles which are much stricter right now than they are even in New York Mm -hmm. have kept the museum and its outdoor dining shut down. That outdoor dining was actually slated to open at the same time as mm-hmm. the work was unveiled. So it was really supposed to draw people back to the museum. Right. But unfortunately, the restaurants were not able to reopen. Right. They closed right when you got home. Right. When I got home, it was very disappointing. <laughs> All my reservations were canceled. I am so sorry for you. <laughs> um, yeah. And although the there are two people at LACMA, two curators who are credit for the display, but it was actually the brainchild of international ad agency Doyle Dane Burnback and the work was actually commissioned by said agency. Yes and in recent months the agency has been working really hard to rebrand Miller Light Beer through a campaign that focuses on the holiday traditions that can continue in a pandemic era as events such as holiday office parties have been cancelled. Yeah the collaboration is noted through a plague that only reads support provided by Miller Light 
And the collaboration is even more evident through a commercial for the beer, which stars Prager's sculpted characters. What I found so interesting is that this article does not view this collaboration between Miller Lite Beer and Mm -hmm. LACMA in a positive light at all. And it goes so far as to question really what the point of this is for a nonprofit cultural institution. Yeah, I kind of do agree with that. I immediately thought of the Red Bull Arts Gallery, which is located in Mm -hmm. Chelsea in New York, and we were able to visit about a month month ago. A few months ago. Time flies. (laughs) But I think that the main difference for me between the two is that the Red Bull Arts Gallery, it doesn't infiltrate into the art, the association with Red Bull. Yeah. So when you go to the Red Bull's art gallery, you wouldn't know it is connected to Red Bull at all if like if you're only looking at the art. Obviously, like when you're leaving, they offer you some Red Bull and like the programs have the Red Bull logo. But aside from that, the art itself remains like free of any Red Bull like memorabilia. Right. And I think the most problematic aspect of this is that the artist's work appears in the commercial. Right. If you think about advertising, it's this really Mm -hmm. thin line between what's considered art. And you're the expert here because you wrote your thesis on it. (laughs) I wrote my thesis on editorial photography and this line between commercial Mm -hmm. and what can be considered high art. And I think this is replicated here between advertisement and high art. This story also reminds me of other beverages right now that are using artists to like sell their products sort of. No, you're so right. Yeah, so like, for example, Kusama has been featured in Buff Glico's champagne bottles and then um, Murakami has been featured in the Perrier like waters. So it's just crazy that all of these beverages are using art and artists to sell. It's like, what's up with the beverages? Yeah, <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> But it is fun and it is an interesting collaboration for sure. Yes. So I think we're ready to move on. Mm -hmm. Our second story of the day comes to us from the New York Times, where it was reported that, quote, how a mysterious monolith vanished overnight. It wasn't aliens. This monolith has been widely discussed in the art world this week because it appeared randomly in Utah and vanished just as mysteriously as it appeared. The three-sided metal monolith stands about 10 to 12 feet tall and appeared at the base of a barren slot canyon in Utah's Red Rock country on November 18th and vanished just 10 days after. Yeah, and the reason this story has gained so much notoriety is because people started coming up with conspiracy theories and claiming that the monolith had been placed there by aliens, which is crazy. And then to make the story even more interesting, another mysterious monolith appeared in Romania just two days after it had disappeared from Utah. So that's why people were like, oh, it's aliens transporting it from one place to another. So crazy. But as the New York Times explains, the mystery has been solved as photographer Ross Bernards, who was in Utah to see the monolith in person. I think it actually drew a little bit yes, of a crowd. It did, it did. So the photographer came forward and said he saw four men removing the piece. Yeah, like in the middle of the night. And according to Bernards, one of the men said, quote, this is why you don't leave trash in the desert, which is so funny since it suggests that maybe that person does not view the piece as art as most people did. Right. Just like a random metal scrap. Yes. Bernard's did not take any photographs as the men were intent on leaving no trace, but a friend of his took a few blurry snaps on his phone, making these the only known images of the culprits who removed the sculpture. Yeah, this headline is just so lighthearted and really got people talking and I just feel like it's what the art world needed. Even David Swerner Associates brought it up yesterday during one of their hybrid New York Miami Art Basel talks. I feel like everyone loves a little bit of a mystery. Yes. And it is funny that Swerner talked about it because 
because they have a monolith like that in their 20th Street Gallery in Chelsea in Manhattan. Maybe that one will disappear too. Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> I think security wouldn't allow that. No. <laughs> <laughs> so the third story of the day comes to us from the art newspaper where it was reported that, quote, a date with Mona Lisa, a painting by Soulage, Louvre's fundraising auction offers all to the highest bidder. The online sale for the Louvre seeks to support a new space for art education and outreach that will open in the fall of 2021. The sale is in collaboration with Christie's and Drew. This is a really great initiative because they're not only auctioning off art, but also art experiences. Right. The 100-year-old French artist Pierre Soulage donated a painting worth hundreds of thousands of euros, but also the museum is auctioning the opportunity to attend the annual examination of the Mona Lisa or having the museum to yourself for a night so you can pretend like you're Beyonce. <laughs> yes, <laughs> except that bidding starts at 10,000 euro for the solo evening. So I wonder how many people will bid on that. Very true. The sale started on December 1st and will go on until December 15th. So if we have any listeners interested in Europe, you guys should definitely check it out. You still have a lot of time. Another great thing to highlight about this sale is that the Louvre collaborated with artists they've had a relationship with in the past. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to put an emphasis on maintaining a living relationship with contemporary art and giving it a presence in the historical palace. Yeah, I for sure find that interesting because I think when people, myself included, think of Louvre, we don't think of contemporary art, but of old masters. So this is a really good way to, in a sense, rebrand a little for the museum. I also think that the initiative is great because instead of deaccessioning works at auction, they're um, raising money by selling unique experiences and, you know, donated works. I could not agree more. I hope that museums here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. look at this as an example and try and replicate this idea of creating like unique experiences yeah. rather than deaccessioning works, which has been a trend as of late. I agree. Our fourth headline of the episode comes to us from the art newspaper, where it was reported that, quote, dozens asked to participate in Documenta 15, only to realize invitations are fake. Documenta is a prestigious contemporary art exhibition that occurs every five years and is scheduled to take place in 2022 for what will be the 15th edition. And this one will be in the German city of Cassel. Yeah, and unfortunately, a number of art professionals have received fake emails inviting them to participate in Documenta. When the article was published, Documenta knew of at least 32 of these fake invitations. Which is so sad. It's so sad. Such a scam. Cannot imagine. A spokesperson for Documenta announced that they are in contact with experts, but the emails are very well encrypted, so they have been unable to determine who sent them and thus unable to put a stop to it. Right. And some of the recipients have been notified that their invitations were not real, but some of them were not able to be contacted. And obviously, it just must be such a disappointment for these art professionals that probably got so excited and now their invitation has been taken back. Exactly. And then also what's so scary is that there's no way to know how many of these fake invitations were sent, were out. sent out. Right. So Documenta has published a warning on its website requesting any museum staff, curator, dealer, or artist who receive an email discussing participation in 2022 to contact the general coordinator to confirm if the offer was genuine or not. Yeah. I mean, imagine getting the letter being so excited that your artwork right. is being honored, basically, mm -hmm. and then only to find out that it's, it's not. not. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot imagine. It reminds me of the college scandal yes. a few years ago, I think, where a lot of people got like a 
admission letters and then they were resigned in because they were fake or there was a mistake there was like a problem with the computer where it sent everyone an acceptance letter instead of a wait list or something so sad so sad I also just don't understand who has the time to... Well, it's not like they're asking for money. No, like, exactly. It's just point? a scam. Like, they're just scamming people. It's so sad. It's so terrible. I feel so bad. Yeah, it reminds me of people hack- trying to hack into the Vatican. Yes. Like, wh- it's like who why? has the time and why? <laughs> What's the point? Our fifth and final story comes to us courtesy of Artnet News, where it was reported that, quote, photojournalists are suing BuzzFeed for publishing their Instagram images of this summer's protests without consent. A group of black photographers is suing digital media company BuzzFeed for using images they took of the protest that swept the United States this summer without their consent. The complaint filed in New York District Court last month on behalf of six photographers alleges that BuzzFeed's news arm illegally embedded these artists' Instagram posts in a June 3rd article titled 17 Powerful Pictures of the Protest Through the Eyes of Black Photographers. Days after the article was published, one of the featured photographers reached out to BuzzFeed questioning the decision to run her work without permission and the company responded offering the photographer $75 as compensation but according to the complaint the artist declined this compensation and to put this into some context the lawsuit argues that each photographer is owed up to $30,000 in statuary damages so comparing the $30,000 that they're asking for to the Mm $75,000 they were offered seems criminal right (laughs) it is (laughs) But BuzzFeed did remove the images from the article a week later, leaving in their place a note that the images did not meet the company's editorial standards regarding photo permissions. So they're basically assuming that they were wrong. Right. But to sum it up, the lawsuit comes down to whether or not BuzzFeed has a right to embed Instagram posts showcasing the photographer's images, a question that many feel remains unanswered in the social media site's terms of use. Taking images from Instagram is Mm -hmm. actually a really murky area as far as legal rights go especially because instagram is relatively new yeah in a public space technically exactly so this year there have already been two cases one from the website mashable and another from the magazine newsweek Mm -hmm. and they came to opposite conclusions regarding work that was initially shared via instagram so the they actually have been reopened because it's such a messy area that is really interesting and i feel like a lot of the artists we've interviewed and talked to off camera have talked about how they use instagram to sell their works and how instagram is such a great platform to reach new audiences so they for sure want to put out their work you know but then things like this happen which is just so sad because it makes them not want to put out their work but they also don't want to cut off the possibility of selling work through this platform i think it's such a difficult position to put an artist in Mm -hmm. because they can't ignore instagram because they're closing themselves off to such a vast audience and such great free publicity Mm -hmm. but at the same time i'm sure there is this fear when posting something onto instagram that you have no control once it's out there and there are no laws in place right now to protect the artist no because as you said it's relatively new so we don't really know how the law is ruling right since like the two cases you brought up like there's just no standard exactly And with that, we're done with this week's headlines, but we do want to share an emerging news story. So earlier this week, Art Forum announced that, quote, anything is possible, freeze response to rumors of 2022 Soul Edition. So rumors are swirling that blue chip art fair producer Freeze is contemplating an inaugural Soul Edition in the fall of 2022. Yes. 
The report first appeared in September in a Seoul newspaper, which noted that Fries had signed an agreement of understanding with the Galleries Association of Korea that would allow Fries to open a new fair. This makes so much sense and is kind of unexpected, so I'm not surprised if it actually is happening given that Seoul's global art scene has grown exponentially in the past decade, and most mega galleries have opened outposts in their region recently. I think it's always so exciting to see an art fair expand into a new market because all it does is introduce a brand new audience not everyone has the ability to travel right. year round mm-hmm. so even if people are so interested which is what we bring up a lot as these fairs have gone online mm-hmm. it just extends the opportunity for people to interact with the works yeah so it's definitely something or so, or rather somewhere that we will keep in mind and then finally before we go we want to give a shout out to everyone who sent us their spotify 2020 rap which included curated chat as one of their most listened to podcasts. Yes, we're so thankful for all of our listeners and we look forward to everything we have in store for 2021. Thank you. Bye.